This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to RM Podcast FL. Yes, this is your favorite podcaster, Romina. Like it or not, I, I know I am your favorite. You have to call it out to the universe sometimes. That's why we talked about part one with Adi. And on part two, we're actually going to talk about from self-hate to self-love. So part one and part two, they kind of coordinate with one another. But before we do get started, Adi, I want to thank you so much again for being a part of the show. And I want to pass the mic to you to tell us about your books. I know you have two published books. Um, mm -hmm. Own it and once, uh, once in love, always in love. Tell us about this project. Well, thanks for having me again. And uh, as far as my book, so the first book, Own It, is about is a book I wish I had when I was a 17-year-old. The book is essentially very helpful to people at all stages of life because it, it, it really, it's a guide uh, to how um, overcome the odds and figure out life. So from discovering who you are to how to manage relationships, how to manage money, pursue career you love, education, it covers all of that. And it's very much a guide, which means it's short and it has a lot of uh, exercises and uh, quick ways of uh, kind of asking questions to find answers and own your life, right? Take responsibility for it. So that's, uh, that's the first one. The second book is a story of a... Catholic priest, a friend of mine, he founded the first interfaith center in the United States uh, in the 60s, and um, a, a very fascinating man. Uh, he passed away in the middle of us writing the book, but it covers uh, his life and also the wisdom he's accumulated over the years, talks about love, and why is it that once we fall in love, we can never go back. Once you say, I love you, you can never take the I love you back. Um, and how does that actually uh, appear in our life? Uh, and how do we benefit from it? Uh, there's some interesting stories in there, some great pictures about him, some of his friends communicating. Uh, this man also in his spare time uh, found home for 6,500 orphans in 20 countries. So I actually ran his center years later, several decades after he founded it. Um, and that's how we met and connected and decided to tell his story. He, he, he was an orphan. He really uh, had an interesting journey, uh, but the book goes beyond just his narrative. It touches on how do you live? How do you connect with your, find your God, uh, find your spiritual life, whatever that means to you, and how do you, you know, get the love and the friendships and everything else as part of your journey? So that's, that's the second one. Um, and that, um, I mean, they're both, they're very different, um, but I think they're both, of course, I'm biased, but I think they're great reads. I love it. You're like, I'm biased, but it's amazing. I mean, I, I say, if, I, if it has my name on it, it's amazing. I don't, I don't know what you think. If you don't like it, then you're, you're wrong. You have to have that self-confidence there. Maybe it's a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> you know, when the first time, when the first book came out, and actually it was just last week, was my, uh, was a six-year anniversary since Own It came out. Congratulations. And I actually, I read it every year, right? I reread re it just to see, you know, if I still believe all the same things. And it's actually a great read. And the more I get away from it, I realize how simple and basic, but actually uh, fundamental lessons in it are and very helpful to people. So I was actually a lot more concerned. You know, I launched the book, I put my, I wrote it very fast. Uh, it went out and I, it was launched in front of 150 people who paid to come to listen to me. <clears throat> and the book had actually a mistake on the cover, 
which was absolutely frustrating. Uh, my flight to get there to the conference got canceled. There was all these issues and I was so nervous. I just wanted to give free copies. I'm like, just, is it going to be okay? You know, that, because that's, you're a creator. When you create something, you put it out there, you're hoping. It's like your, ba your brain baby. It, yeah. That's, that's what it is. And did I forget something? What if it's not enough? But what happens is a lot of people uh, since then have read the book and gave me so much positive feedback in terms of it's not what you expect it to be. It's actually, it goes both deep, but it's creative. And I tell stories from my life, like starting an ice cream shop when I was a kid, you know, trying to make things happen. Um, so it's a very, it's, 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 a, it's a really good read. And as years go by, I'm more and more proud of it. Um, the second one, people have said, you know, people have cried reading it. They laughed. They were moved emotionally. It's, it's beautifully written. Um, again, I'm biased, but I, I know how to write. And it's, it's, it's a good, I think it's, it's enjoyable read. Um, and, it dif and it's different in, in the way because you feel like you're transported. Uh, an author is talking to you. So I want to actually focus a little bit on the second one because you said mm -hmm. once in love, always in love. And you did mention that you, uh, you and the, uh, your partner for the book had the theory that once you fall in love, you cannot fall out, which I have to say I disagree with it. I think you can fall out of love. Why do you think you cannot fall out of love? So I should, I should clarify that. So um, you may not be with the person anymore that you were in love with. Yeah. And, and you may not want them in your life, but if you feel love within you and you've given it to someone else, you said, I love you. If it was truly authentic, you, you're not, no longer, you can't say, well, now give me back what I gave you. The idea is- to Oh, I see what you're life. saying. The idea is to live authentically and live a full life so you're real. So you don't just say, oh, I, I love you, but you don't mean it. The idea is when you give to somebody something it's, it's, you're actually really giving it to them. You may fall out of relationship and you may, you know, things happen and sometimes bad ways, other times people just diverge, friendships, whatever it might be. Things you give your life to like career or certain jobs, those things you may no longer want, your life has moved away from that. But the connection you had at that time, it was real. And if you think of your relationships, and I've had, you know, I've had failed relationships, that's for sure. And I remember the times I said, I love you. It was real. I actually fully believe that. And if I've given it once, how can I uh, go back and say, well, no, that's, that wasn't real. See, if it was I, real once, it's always real. I see what you're saying. I just think of once you fall in love, you can't fall out because it translates or it converts to a different feeling. And if you had uh, a horrible, you know, breakup, then that love translates to hate and then you grow from it and you're like, it translates to neutral mm -hmm. or it translates to, I want the best for you, but not necessarily with me. Or well, let's, let's expand that beyond romantic love. Once you fall in, in love with life, yeah, you don't go back out of it. That's no, it's a good feeling. It goes beyond, you know, because the idea is if you connect with the divine, if you connect with the universe, you connect with things that are bigger than you, with love itself, that's where it's about. It's not an individual person. And in the book, we talk about, you know, the, my friend, Father Mothi was his name. He almost got married. He was engaged. And he saw his former uh, fiance 50 years after they broke off. 
but his love was for God. He wanted to serve the church. He wanted to follow that path. He saw her 50 years later. She came to him. He was preaching and she came to him after and said, hello, handsome. And they reconnected in a, in, in that, in the, reconnected the moment they were where they were back in the day, 50 years prior. But the idea, it goes beyond. That just gave me chills a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it goes beyond uh, transactional kind of stuff we experience a lot of times in relationships. The whole point and the message behind the book is that we feel these things within us and we live our life in such a way that we're empty of all possibility by the time we're end with it, we end with it. That we love and live and give and contribute 100%, regardless of whether we're gonna get hurt or not. Whether it's gonna work or not, we don't know. But what we can do is give it our all at the time. So that's, that's really, so it's a lot like a bigger, deeper message. Do you, um, do you believe being in love and loving something are two different things? Like loving uh, your career? and being in love with your career. Cause like, for instance, what I do right now, I'm in love with it because I can spend hours and, you know, be tired, but I'll be okay. Yeah. But loving it, it'd be like, I love it cause it gives me good money, but limited hours kind of thing. That's sure. how I look at it. And we can talk about relationships or careers or just life in general. Do you think those two things are different too? So um, I think they're different. I think in love grows to love. Uh, and actually I have changed a bit of my philosophy in terms of falling in love with something, I like the idea of growing in love. Because fall means you lost yourself a bit, means you lost your balance. It means you're, you may get hurt when you, as you're falling. The thing with that is it, there's a thrill. There's the thrill of, you know, when you're an adolescent and you have a crush and you think you're falling in love and all that, it's, it's delightful. However, as we age and we get wiser and we want to live richer lives, I like the idea you grow in it. So if you have a career and if you're not growing in more love with it, like, so you're, you're, you know, loving it more, then the question is, well, what can, what do you need to do to achieve that greater love? So the idea of growing in love, that's why you see some great couples 50 years later, either they're so like far apart and they're just there coexisting, or you saw them that they just grew over time in, in their connection with each other. And so that's, that would be my definition. I, I tend to stay away from, oh, I'm in love with this because mm -hmm. I think that has a fleeting nature unless it becomes the next level, right? It becomes actually a love. Yeah, and I, before I jump to the question, because I do want to talk a little bit about your girl from, you know, mm -hmm. in the 1990s uh, in Boston, we did have some wars. Um, not a lot of people, people think it's in 1950s, but no guys, it's 1990s. Like we both experienced yeah. that. But um, I did want to add just one more thing towards in love and falling in love. I feel like some people, well, how I look at it is once you are so confident in yourself and you just have so much positivity, you can tell somebody you love them, but not necessarily like commit your life or commit your, your whole being into something. And I just find it hard, like, I just find it a little sad that some people sometimes are hesitant to say, I love you or I love my job, or I love this, because they feel like they're letting their guard down, which we talked about, you know, being vulnerable and letting your guard down on the first episode, you guys, so you should definitely listen to that. But I think the more love you give, also the more love you receive, because you open that door. Exactly. I, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's when, you are, when you are vulnerable, like we talked in the first, the first episode, but you're also giving, when you're loving, 
that, that's going to come back to you because any emotion we experience, if it's anger, it lives with us. It's burning us. If it's love, it lives with us and we're experiencing it. So if you want a, a life full of love, you got to feel that love within and share it freely. And it doesn't mean that things are not going to change in life. You're going to have different priorities, move on from things. I mean, think of food. There are certain things you love to eat back in the day, but you no longer do. That doesn't mean uh, you shouldn't have loved it at that time because life could happen and, I don't know, your priorities change. You, you give it your all. And yeah. Give it your all and you'll always see, you know, results in it. Don't give just tiny percent because you'll see tiny change or you won't really notice it. Just saying. Well, um, let's talk a little bit. So from, and we're talking about love, but we're going to talk about from uh, self-hate to self-love. Mm -hmm. And on the very first conversation that we talked together, uh, we kind of can relate. In the 1990s, we did have the words in Balkan, unfortunately. And I shared with you how I, saw, I was like, sometimes I have like flashbacks mm -hmm. and you share how you've experienced that. So we can kind of, you know, uh, relate to one another there. But I wanted to, because you're also a life coach, I wanted to talk to you for people that necessarily have like drama at a young childhood. Mm -hmm. what can they do to reprogram their brain or to let that part of their life go? If you want to share your personal experience, how did you, or do you still have it in you and how do you manage it? So it doesn't take your whole being, but mm -hmm. minimize it. So there's, so there's a couple of things about that. So the first part is, you know, my earliest memory is a bomb exploding outside of our window. Uh, I didn't understand at that time you're a kid and you see just this happens and you live with it. But in retrospect, you know, I, I was asking a question, why would somebody want to kill me? What's wrong with me? I didn't do anything. Yeah. So you have those experiences and that's an extreme experience, but the trauma experiences we have as kids, uh, they don't have to be significant. They don't have to be major. In fact, it's because we think they have to be major that many of us don't handle our uh, Small complex, complex PTSD or just regular PTSD, right? We don't address it because just like I didn't. When I came here, I went to college, I was in college and I had a professor who wanted me to write about the Balkan Wars, uh, disintegration of the former Yugoslavia and all these things. And I was like, no, 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 I'm gonna write about AIDS situation in Africa because I wasn't going to touch that because I didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal. She was very insistent because she thought I had a very unique perspective having grown up there and you know, studying the topic of you know, uh, politics and identities and stuff. So I actually, got into it. And as I started researching, I would have flashbacks from that. But then I still didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, well, it's just memories. Until I realized that some of those fears and rejections and experiences uh, built me the way I am. And I had to work through it because I wanted a different life. And so that comes to the second part of reprogramming is that we get, you know, like we talked in the last episode, we get programmed in the first seven years, 90% of who we are. And so to reprogram is you essentially look at your life and you say, what else is there? How do I get to know myself, figure out what really matters to me, figure out my purpose, my passions, my values, and create a vision for my life that is so compelling that pulls me, that I have to do it, not uh, just live a life reactionary. Okay, I have to go get a job so I can pay my bills. There's so much more that we can do with our lives if we take the time to figure out what that is and then figure out what are the deeper limitations that we place upon ourselves and how to move from that self-hate or uh, people struggle sometimes when I say self-hate because they're like, well, I don't hate myself, but 
you know, stuff like that, to, to actually self-love and recognizing that we are worthy of goodness. We are worthy of to live a life we love. And so that leads to my second part, which is I tried to satisfy the void within for years. So, I, you know, we talked about it. I came here, no money. I went, got this education, did all these things, landed opportunities, connected with people. Um, but in fact, it was at a time I was running a, this, uh, you know, an organization, raised money, mayor of the city knew me by the first name. I was very much, a, you know, up and coming future leader. Um, but internally, I felt miserable. And uh, my relationship had collapsed. I was um, overweight. I was feeling lethargic. I just was feeling just bad. And then I found myself at the floor of my apartment with a bottle of Jack Daniels, um, recognizing that I actually hated myself. So the external stuff did not lead to success, did not lead to happiness, did not lead to self-love. They never do. That's why you have so many situations where people do all the right things they're supposed to, and then they encounter a moment in their life, whether you call it midlife crisis or whatever, where they get stuck, look back and like, what the hell have I done? This is not who I am or what I really want. And that's why so many people, you know, there's this disruptions in life. And then for many people, there's quiet desperation. You know, about 70 plus percent of Americans report being unsatisfied with their lives. And a lot of it has to do because they're not taking the time to dig deeper. That day in my apartment, uh, I realized I hated myself and I wasn't sugarcoating it. I wasn't trying to avoid it. I asked myself, okay, I have two choices because I didn't want to live with self-hate. I had choices. I had a choice of um, ending it all, which I contemplated. And the second part was changing it. Well, I was way too curious about my life, thankfully. And I wanted to see how it, you know, what happens with it and how I can make the difference and, you know, live it out. So, I was like, well, how do you go from self-hate to self-love? And well, before you love something, you have to like it. And before you like it, you have to think it's good. And so I asked myself whether I'm fundamentally good with all the flaws, with all the mistakes I've made, with all the things I wish were different, you know, different situation, different upbringing, different relationships, different me, the way I look, feel, whatever. But then, that fundamental goodness occurred to me that the flower, a plant, is a plant. The plant doesn't try to be good, the plant just is. The universe doesn't try, the universe just is. There's no external validation that is necessary to recognize that fundamental goodness. And so I decided, well, I don't necessarily feel this right now, but I'm going to decide that I am fundamentally good because I literally don't have an argument that I'm not. Mm -hmm. There's no argument against it intellectually at the time. And I was going to build on it by tying every decision and every day I live to that fundamental goodness. So if I believe I'm fundamentally good, that means I deserve good things. That means if somebody's being mean to me or I'm in toxic situations, I'm going to remove myself. That means I should take care of myself. So I lost about, was it 50 plus pounds after that? And I wasn't dieting. I just decided to take care of myself. So instead of going to McDonald's, I actually made my own food. So that's, so I'm like, I, I, I am deserving of this. I actually had a license plate too um, on my car so I could daily be reminded that I am, it said I am good on it. Um, so I kind of started with that and then that slowly became a belief. And that belief is so strong today that I don't know what I need to do or whatever happens in the world. No one can convince me that I'm not fundamentally good. Will I make mistakes? Yes. 
but that fundamental goodness allows it's like a foundation for a house you build on it solid foundation i figured out then things that's much easier than to change so i figured out things i like about myself and then things i don't but when you don't think you are a bad person for having certain traits you don't like it's much easier to change them so i would i change to this day i change constantly things i don't like about myself or what i'm doing how i'm doing it so i changed that and that means i'm liking and i'm doing the things and living in a way that i'm liking and liking myself more and more that leads to then self-love and then you because you learn to appreciate yourself because again this this something me is good which means i can like it which means i can love it that changes the whole perspective to the sense of self-worth and being good enough and also to relationships and what you put up with what you don't to the career dreams you follow to creating boundaries to having the guts to go for the things that really matter to you even if you might fail doesn't matter you believe you're worthy to give it a shot and so the whole dynamic changes once you once you reach that point of course you have to have a drink with your demons you have to face your you know this is not as simple as i'm describing it you have to work on it and you have to face uh subconscious you have to face programming uh, things like that in order to rewire it in order to change it yeah you um you do have to have a drink with the with the demon that's that's for sure i have not shared that myself but yeah i had my break point too that i ended up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning and mm. that wake up call and your whole first off i want to thank you for sharing the story i can partially relate to it at some point because the last five years I've been able to go from, cause I was mad with the world myself and I just mm -hmm. was mad with God and just everybody, you know, from A to Z. Uh, but once you start building it and once you start, you know, in order to build, like, I'm just going to make a comparison in order to build a new skyscraper, you have to demolish the building that is in it yeah. and you demolish it and you start from scratch and rock bottom is the best solid foundation you can find. Yeah. And you just build your castle with bricks instead of sand. You know, what you had before might be a sand castle, but now you just build it with bricks. And so. you build it. That's key. You build it for yourself. You own it, good, bad, and otherwise. And you, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, I love that you have to lose yourself in order to find yourself. So when people tell me I'm confused about my life, I'm like, that's great. That means the change is already happening. Because if the biggest problem is when people are so certain that from the outside, you're looking at them and you're thinking, you are on a wrong path. You're going to hit the wall and it's not going to be pretty. And, but people don't see it. So that idea of you have to lose yourself to really yeah. figure out who the hell you are. Truly. Well, even if you're not understood, I just tell people I'm special edition. So you're never going to fully <laughs> understand it. <laughs> and th that's the thing. It's not up to others. And the, the thing is we have to understand and accept ourselves. Whether others do or not, that's, you can't control that. Yeah. That's entirely up to them, not us. So, I know we're talking about the inner battle and the inner growth, but um, as a person that loves helping others, both me and you, and you specifically, you de de uh, devote your life to it. What can we learn? Because I understand externally, sometimes you have to filtrate those sounds or you have to, you know, uh, not really listen to it and just look what you, what you want. But how can we be a good support system for somebody that might be going through change. Like it might be a family friend, a family member, a friend or a coworker or a loved one. Um, how can we be a good support system even though we don't understand somebody 100% what they're going through? 
Mm -hmm. What type of questions or what, how, what kind of conversation we can have to keep that open minus to just even for a second make him feel like he's listening, he or she's listening and they're understood. Mm -hmm. So there is a, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the platinum rule. So there's the golden no. rule, treat others as you want to be treated. And then there's a platinum rule that says treat others as they want or need to be treated. And so when people are going through stuff, it's not about me to tell them unless they ask me, right? But it's yeah. not up to me to tell them how to live, what to do. Uh, my job, if I want to be supportive, is to understand what they need by asking, by seeking to understand, by connecting, by sometimes just being there. You don't have to do anything because our instinct, oh, I gotta, I gotta do something. That's more about us than the person needing something from us. We have to respect wherever the people are and whatever their needs are, ask them and actually listen watch for our biases, right? Watch for the things we process ourselves and want to do, because a lot of that is, you know, I want to help, I want to help. That becomes about me, not the person I actually want to help. So is it really helping? So the support, I think, is, is it's connecting with the person, treating them the way they need to be treated. And that empathy we talked about in the last episode is, uh, we might not understand what people are going through specifically, but what we can understand is the anguish or the confusion or the pain or the excitement, euphoria, whatever it is they're experiencing, we can connect with the emotion that their experience is giving them. We may not have the same experience, but we're gonna, we have had those emotions. And so if we tap into it, that's where, that's where empathy lives. We get it, people are going through it. And then of course, you know, when it gets, we, we feel maybe sometimes, oh my God, I'm doing this too much and whatnot. We just recall that it's not, our job is to be supportive and supportive means being there without trying to solve anything unless asked to do so. Yeah. But um, I'm also intrigued how would this work in a collective culture like it is in the Balkan area mm -hmm. or Middle East or like, you know, that our, our territory and uh, compared to America, that it's more an individualism. Um, am I, I don't my foreign moment here, guys, individualistic <laughs> culture. Yeah. 10 points, Romina, I said it, got it. <laughs> um, whenever we, leave, we have like a collective culture, like a very family oriented, sometimes we feel like as we cannot breathe to take a second and actually, you know, rebuild ourselves because everybody's asking you why, what, when, who, 100 questions. Uh, I tell my mom sometimes, you ask 101 questions in a second. Um, yeah. So how can those people from those collective cultures actually uh, need to do to even start small so it's not like a big drastic change mm -hmm. so it starts with uh, awareness so you you create you recognize the distinction between me between you between the person and everybody around there's a gap a lot of the communal societies um, there's a lot of codependence instead of interdependence but that's not healthy right that's why you see a lot of unhealthy dependencies that happen uh, and may, they may not be bad inherently, but they do cause people to feel suffocated or feel like their voice isn't heard. So a way out of that is you recognize that uh, we are our own being and how can we create a bit of a gap, a bit of a space between us and others. So if people give us feedback, um, we, instead of taking it to heart, whether it be good or bad, we wonder whether they understand us to give us that feedback. Where is this feedback coming from? So for example, you know, my dad, he wanted me to be an engineer. He still does, right? Or something. He wants me to get a regular job. 
you know, have a you know, nine to five stability because, and for many years I was like, he's not supportive of me. No, actually that was his expression of love. He cared because he, he's, he was an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. We have generational thing, but what he, he saw the war, he saw losing things, he saw losing everything. So he wants me to be safe and taken care of. When I understood that, it allowed me to say, I appreciate that, I respect that's where you come from, uh, but that's not my path. I get to choose my own. And this can be big stuff or small stuff, the dynamic is the same. And so that's where it starts. You know, in, in, the, in my book, Own It, I talk about relationship circles. That's the other thing where you have, you know, three inner circles that are all about trust and connection, people that really understand you, and then three outer circles with pretty much everybody else. In those core circles, people around you, you focus and surround yourself with the people that actually understand your true self. But before you can know the true self, you have to you see the distinction between performative stuff, so doing things for the community because that you're expected to do that, versus what really matters to you. As you focus, as you see the gap between the two, and then you focus on yourself, you choose yourself on small stuff. Over time, you grow in your, it's like muscles. Over time, you grow in your confidence and you learn, find ways to create boundaries, find ways to pursue your own path that is unique to you, that is authentic to you. It might not be supported by community, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pursue it. So it starts with small stuff. It could be as much as, you know, when you want to wake up in the morning or what are you eating or uh, how you want to do something, how you want to start your holiday. Any of those things uh, can be tools to say, okay, we build with small stuff. I, I love everything you said, and I want to specifically focus a little bit on your dad, for instance, that he wanted you to go for engineering because that's mm -hmm. his way of showing love, and he, that's his way that he thinks your life will be set and not, not have to worry about it. Because I feel like sometimes in our inner circle, I feel like we misunderstand our friends, family, or loved ones because they're, based on their perception and their vision, this is what's right. Right. And that might be wrong for you, but I feel as we have to have an open mindset, which is not easy to have sometimes, and have sit-downs and deeper question why they feel the way they feel. So this way we can understand that, no, they're not really mad at you. They're just too worried about you, especially when it comes to parents. Mm -hmm. The thing about that is that there has to be a line, right? There has to be a line in the sand, if you will, where uh, the boundaries, right? It's not my job to understand uh, where my dad is coming from or to manage his emotions and, and there's there's uh, that's not my responsibility especially child to parent dynamic that should never go that way it's the job of a parent is to take care of the kid uh, not the other way around in terms of not physically speaking but like emotionally right because then there's issues emotional issues that happen so I we choose to understand in order to make sense of our journey so if something bothers you the idea wasn't because my dad needed understanding where he comes from. The idea it was for me to understand so I don't carry it as a burden or as a evil. And that's what I mean by it because sometimes we feel like we're mad or we have an anger towards something, yeah. but I feel like it would give us ourselves like an inner peace and better understand where somebody else is coming from once we, you know, we get to the root of it, which like we said on the first episode, you kind of just go straight for the root of the issue. Yep. But I think it's very important because it helps us a lot um, kind of see things from a better perspective and be open-minded. Mm -hmm. Yep. And a lot of this stuff is awareness, right? So understanding where the feedback is coming from, understanding the dynamic, 
uh, and understanding how we really feel. So even anger, right? Anger can be uh, a great motivator, can be a great teacher. It's just what we do with it. If the anger is just expressive towards others or situations, that's not constructive. But how can we take any emotion, whether it be sadness, anxiety, anger, or happiness, joy, as an educator, right? It's our body, it's our higher self giving us a sign. So we take that sign and then we learn from it. And that's, and I went from this feeling of, oh, I'm not adequate, even though I'm doing all these things, you know, I did so much to not really being bothered by it because I recognize I have the inner satisfaction of what I'm doing and that's, that's okay. Do you ever catch yourself thinking like, oh, you know, 20 year old Adi would have freaked out if this happened, but now you're like, oh, I got this. Like, this is easy peasy. Do you ever catch yourself and kind of compare yourself? How would you have been before and how you are now? Yes, of course. Of course, there, is a, there, is, there were moments of, of strength, right? Where you, where you recognize, oh, this is not bothering me as much, or this is how I would approach it, including moments of what became more important to me or how I'm perceiving things. And that's a sign of growth, right? That's a sign that you've tr transformed into, into someone else, especially if less things bother you than they used to. And the reason why I actually asked that question is like we talked earlier, my dad unfortunately had um, a tumor, so he had to have surgery. So I actually posted, <laughs> Albanians, here we go guys, close culture. I posted on Facebook, I said, um, it sucks, but I'm actually glad it happened to my family because we are strong enough to handle such a situation with his surgery and his recovery. If it had another family, it might have demolished them emotionally and financially if it works. And the response that I got, which I have to delete it, I said, this is too much. I'm trying to give positivity here, trying to see like if something bad happens, try to look at it from a good point of view. Mm -hmm. um, what ended up happening is also you just, it, you're okay with bad things happening to your family and you just pray for it and all this craziness. And I was like, no, once you recognize that strength that you're like, I'm glad it's happening to me, I can handle it. If it happens to somebody else, it would demolish them. It would ruin them. Um, and I feel like sometimes we have to switch the mindset if something bad happens to us, because if we think of it like that, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I found this like inner strength even more. And I was like, Ooh, just throwing me this. I got it. I'm going to mic drop it. You know, I got this thing, but it takes a lot to, to get there. It's not a, it's not overnight. It, it requires a lot of, well, it requires in that, you know, wrestling with that pain because the pain makes us stronger, right? And so when you go through a lot of those things, you have the pers certain perspectives. I mean, I had, we talked about it, right? Not the same, of course, but my dog, he had an emergency surgery. Yeah, it ended up happening the same time. We actually, this interview is rescheduled, you guys, because it just happened the same time. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was so, you know, crazy. But it, when it happened, it was an emergency. And they said, you know, you can pay a lot of money for this surgery and we can open him up and he may have all this, cancer inside and whatnot. And in my mind, that's where I caught myself and I knew where my values stood. And my values were very clear on, uh, I will do whatever I can to prolong and save his life. Um, but the other value was, I will also do whatever is the best for him, not whatever I need in that situation. Yeah. It's about caring for, you know, beyond uh, having that perspective. So the, your example and the comments you received, you know, comments like that, this is where, you know, I talk about how I really should do stand up because my response to that would have been, yes, exactly. I pray every single day the bad things will happen to my family. I mean, comments like that are so toxic, but they stem from a person projecting 
I deleted it because my family was freaking out. And I was like, you know what? You guys don't even, you guys think I'm weird. So I'm just going to delete it. You guys not even right. understanding me too. And that, and that happens. And sometimes it, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it's not worth it. Right. But that's, um, you see those moments and a crisis is what shows us what we're made out of. Right. When we have a crisis, how quickly do you respond? How, how does it feel? And are you able to kind of, you know, stay grounded even when it's hurting? That is so true. Oh my goodness. The second episode, you guys, the first episode, second episode, I mean, we're getting to the roots of it. We can talk about this all day, but I definitely don't want to overload you guys. I think this is amazing information. Um, but before we do jump to the two last questions, which we'll always know what they are, Adi, if somebody is like, mm, I feel like I'm a positive person, but sometimes I'm negative, you know, like I'm just kind of in between maybe like a one thing a day that I can do, like, I don't know, like journal or just reach out to somebody. Would it be like a first step you suggest to someone to start slowly, you know, looking into that self-love perspective instead mm -hmm. of when they're feeling in the middle? Mm -hmm. uh, so there's tools like I, I love morning pages or I call it a brain valve. So when you feel overwhelmed and there's so many different thoughts going on, grab a, three pieces of paper, sheets of paper, and just in, in, in handwrite whatever comes to your mind. So whether it be, oh, I, I, my neck hurts, to it's gloomy outside, to whatever it might be, write it all out, get it out. So really what it is, the brain, it's like a bandwidth in a computer, right? The brain gets overwhelmed and that tends to create, to cause that discomfort and pain, which then leads to negativity and fear. So when you get some stuff out, you get a bit more perspective. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that, including doing it when you don't feel bad, just kind of getting it out, that gives you clarity. Uh, the other thing is observe and doubt your doubts. So if you're having a doubt about something, you doubt the doubt. Or if you're having, um, you're wondering about something, ask, is what I'm thinking really true? And that's because the thoughts are designed, right, to, they just happen. We have all kinds of thoughts every single day. And there's a whole process of how our brain works to grab certain ones. Uh, and generally we grab the ones we already know. So that's a confirmation bias, right? We look for things we already know. So if you have a moment where you're trying to be positive, but you're having these consistent thoughts, that's usually because brain is just looking for them and they seem real and valid because our brain recognizes them, not because they're true. So you disrupt that by asking, well, is this really true? Uh, why, where is this coming from? So that's you dig, you seek to understand what's driving this. I would also strongly encourage people to not just look at the duality of good and bad, positive, negative, but look, use terminology like constructive. And is this serving me? Is this serving my higher good? So let's say you encounter a day uh, when I'm, you know, when my dog, we were waiting results from, for, for biopsy and, you know, thankfully everything was great, but I was, I could catch myself, my anxiety was through the roof. Like I was having that uh, flight or fight response, second shoe's gonna drop. I wanted to do something. I wanted to just, you know, do something with the situation. And then I would ask myself, well, is this serving me? I can't do anything, I'm waiting. All I can do is focus what's in front of me. This is where knowing your purpose helps. I realized this working with my clients, I would totally go into the zone. I wouldn't think about anything because I'm very present with them. Um, so, but you ask yourself, is this helpful? Whether it seems real or not, is it really helpful to me? Why am I suffering? Do I like this? Am I really am I addicted to pain? Lots of people are. So is this, is this what I want? Or do I want to not feel this? And so anytime we start asking those questions, we immediately start creating like 
it's like a stool with three legs. We're hitting the legs. We're creating wobbly and they don't have as much strength. And that's how you transform. I love it. And I love how you say doubt your doubts. I actually wrote that down. Um, whenever I doubt myself, I typically, um, if I have moments, because I cry when I'm angry, when I'm really angry, I do that. Um, but I, in myself, I'm like, I'm going to cry, let the set tears out, leave space for good tears. I say that to my head. Or I'll just be like, think for me now, shut up, think for me now, think for me now, think for me. Like, I just yell in my own head. But I love the doubt your doubts. I actually wrote it down and I'm going to put it on my board here because that's so true though. Sometimes we're doubting ourselves, but then we can just, you know, use extra ammo for our doubts and be like, no, I'm going to doubt you. You're out of the picture now. <laughs> that's, and it's one of those things when you talk about, you know, being fair. So if we're going to be uh, doubt ourselves, well, we got to be encouraging to ourselves too, if we care about fairness, right? Yeah. We have to, we have to be equal opportunity doubter and equal opportunity, you know, everything we do. So that's um, asking those questions. So uh, disrupting the brain, instead of telling ourselves, asking questions that give you like, confuse you a bit, that's actually good because the brain then stops that rhythm of anger or even, and, and the other thing is sitting with your emotions. One of the best things you can do is, okay, I'm burning, I'm anger, it's like choking me, I'm, I'm so angry. Okay, well, I'm just gonna not do anything about it. I'm just gonna sit with this emotion. Any emotion lasts 90 seconds. It's our narrative about it that it expands it and makes it so much bigger. So if you encounter anger, feel the anger, don't avoid it. The reason why it gets bigger and people act out is because they don't actually process it. So when the emotion goes through us, it's gone. It doesn't matter which emotion. They hold so, into, uh, yeah, it doesn't process correctly. So it's footprints, footprints, and then you just yes. drag it along. Yep. And there's the emotional hijacking kind of stuff, especially happens with, you know, the uh, trauma experiences. But like you're walking down the street and you have a sensation that triggers you. You acknowledge the sensation and you let it pass as opposed to freaking out or rebelling against it. I love it. I love it. And I know you guys have a lot more questions for Adi. I definitely suggest you to go ahead and connect with him. Where can people connect with you besides LinkedIn and your website, right? Yes. So I'm on, I'm on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to send a message, email. Um, I'm going to uh, create some, uh, there are going to be some freebies for you guys. So if you go to adiredzik.com slash Romina, you're going to get some freebies. Uh, you know, how do you reach success in life? A few keys that I'm going to give you. I'm also going to give you a discount for my book and I'm going to give you a discount for my coaching services. So you guys are uh, getting spoiled audience. Do you hear all that? I'm I just know. saying. This is the problem when you're driven by, you know, impact and changing people's lives. You just want to give and do. And I'm on this mission, especially right now with COVID and, and people so, and all the other craziness, so many people struggling. Um, I'm on this mission to demonstrate that uh, obstacle is the way. Uh, times of crisis are an amazing opportunities for transformation. And so um, I want to reach out to people and say, hey, reach out to me. Let's figure your life out. Let's figure out your business. Let's see how do we turn this disadvantage into advantage. Yep. So adiredzik.com is the uh, great spot. Uh, LinkedIn as well. I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, uh, email is there as well. Social media, if you like pictures of my dog and some inspirational quotes, they're on there. Awesome. And of course, I have a newsletter that comes with a website. People can sign up and every week I send a little bit of something I'm thinking about that week. Nice. And I'll go ahead and attach all that information on the show notes, you guys. Because I know sometimes you can be lazy or you're driving. So if you cannot type it out, just it's a click away. I mean, I don't know how much easier it can get than that. 
a click away? Do you guys connect LinkedIn? Do you guys even have LinkedIn? If you don't, I don't know what you're doing. Open a LinkedIn. Reach out to somebody or ask me a question. I'll help you. It's a LinkedIn is an amazing platform. Just saying. I wish they could pay me for this commercial, but no. Anyways, what is a new and exciting project that you're working towards? I know you have a lot in your plate because you cannot just sit in one place knowing you. No, I can't. <laughs> so I think uh, the, the exciting project is uh, I'm writing my third book. And uh, it's more in the line of leadership uh, and how to build organizations that embrace innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, there's clear path to it. We've seen organizations that foster that kind of mentality uh, actually thrive, whether it be small startups or larger organizations, places like Google and Apple embraced their way of thinking and that's why they've been successful. So um, that's, the, that's my big project. Uh, I call it entreployment. Um, it's how do you get people to feel like they own part of the business. So they're entrepreneurs, but they have the security of a paycheck and of structure that's already in place. So that's that's, that's really a great idea. I can think of so many people that can benefit from it. That's a really, really great idea because it's, it, it empowers you within what you're doing. And I like that. I, I love that <laughs> idea. I'm glad. And the thing is with organizations, right? So many, and we didn't talk much about it, but I do help, you know, businesses. And one of the things that happens a lot, people get so caught up with a single bottom line. So making money, but if you don't know what your why is, and if you don't dig deeper, you cannot create a robust organization. So I brought up Apple. They're driven with the same mission that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had in the seventies in a dorm room in, um, at Berkeley. They're the same, they have the same drive today, which is why it's allowed them to grow. I'm looking around because that's actually explained on the Simon uh, book, uh, Start With The Why. They yeah, have the same. Simon's yep. That's I'm looking, I don't know where I put the book. I just finished it, it's probably there. But yeah, Start With The Why, that's absolutely super, super important. Once you know that fundamental why pushes you more. And the thing is, if you don't know the fundamental why, you can't create an authentic vision. And if you don't create an authentic vision, you can be pulled by it. So everything seems so heavy. Everything seems extra work. And this includes organizations. When you have a lot of issues within your business, you're tripping over yourselves, your processes are not right, you're not hiring the right people. That happens because it's very reactionary. It's not deliberate and clear. Once you have that, it's, it's much easier to thrive. And, and so, I figured, you know, I wrote this blog post a while about entreployment and I'm like, well, I can take this and, you know, just make it into the next book. You should actually just start a podcast too. <laughs> I've heard that before. Um, people have said this. I feel like we have so much to talk about. We can continue to talk for days, but I feel like I would absolutely love to hear your podcast. It would be like my weekly dosage of, you know, go getting kick ass, like just let's get, just, <laughs> let's get stuff done. And that's what I feel like. Thank oh you. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very likely that it's going to happen. And, um, it's well, I'm here I, if you need help. I've, I've been you. through this for a minute. So absolutely. I would exactly. love to, I would love to see on the podcast platform would be super successful too. And Adi, we've come at the end of the interview, but I cannot, you know, skip this without asking my favorite question. What mm -hmm. is your personal definition of success? Uh, uh, following my bliss. So doing as much as I can of what I love every single day. And if I'm not, and I always tell people, even coaching, I love what I do. The day I don't want to do, I don't feel like 
brings me joy. I, I don't love it anymore. I will do something else. Love it. That's, that's inner happiness. And that is, yeah, absolutely. Self-love at the end of the conversation. <laughs> right. It's, it's self-love. And then it, it flows from that, right? It's, it's having the courage to, to do what, what makes you happy. And if you're not, right, uh, that's not success. And yeah. everything else flows from that. So money, uh, opportunities, all of those things, they all happen, but it has to be more than that. It has to be deeper. So that way on a day when you're not maybe making as much, you can still feel great about yourself and, and about your life. Love it. And guys, make sure to also check in the first part. I know I've said this a couple of times, this interview is split into two parts. The first part, it was launched on October 13th. The second part, October 15th, which is today. So make sure you follow both of them. Connect with Adi. Go ahead and tell him Romina sends you. And if you're from the Balkan area and some of these questions were specifically built for you guys, you're more than welcome. <laughs> so definitely feel free to connect with both of us. Adi, thank you so, so, so much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Absolutely. And you guys make sure to tune in every Tuesday for awesome episodes and maybe every Thursday for awesome episodes again with two parts this time, just like this one. Thank you guys. Have a good one.